All right. We're going to be uh, in Mark chapter 6 today. Mark chapter 6. Let's go there. As we've been going, marching through Mark. And uh, Mark has been in his... uh, uh, in his gospel has been showing the miracles of Jesus, the authority of Jesus over demons, over sickness, and even over death. Uh, but two times in the gospel of Mark, you'll see him divert his message from Jesus to John the Baptist. We saw it in Mark chapter 1 when he shows us John as the voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Uh, By verse 14 of chapter 1, we're told now after that, John was put in prison. After Jesus was baptized, not long after, John was put in prison. And here in Mark chapter 6, where we'll be reading today, Mark again turns his attention to, uh, from the ministry of Jesus, and he gives us detail, more detail than any other gospel, on the execution of John the Baptist. In recent years, a new phrase entered our uh, vernacular. Uh, in conversation, you may hear uh, somebody, a person being called uh, the goat, the goat. Uh, it's funny how expressions sometimes change, uh, you know. It used to be that, remember, bad was bad. If somebody was bad, they were bad. Now, bad is good, right? Man, that guy is bad. That means good, you know. Uh, you know, when you were, when many of us were younger, uh, if a place was cool to go to, it was called a hip joint. And now, if you're older, it's really a hip joint. Uh, yeah, just, a, just the way things go, right? I need a new hip joint. You know, that's what we're talking about. Isn't it funny how as you get older, you talk, you know, you sit around. We sit around the campfire when we're camping, and it's, everybody's talking about their medical situations, right? Um, you know. Uh, So think of the term goat. It used to mean if somebody was the goat, it was an athlete who failed miserably at the worst possible time. I remember Bill Buckner. Remember him with the Red Sox when the ball went through his legs? And he was the goat, you know, failed miserably at the worst possible time. But now the term goat has changed. Uh, Some attribute it to Muhammad Ali. GOAT is the acronym, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. Remember Muhammad Ali? I'm the greatest of all time. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. That was my, thank you. That was my Muhammad Ali impression. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, You know, uh, and there's always the debate out there. You know, if it's football, you're talking football, some will say, you know, Walter Payton or Barry Sanders or Joe Montana or Tom Brady is the GOAT. You know, baseball, oh, it's Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb or Willie Mays or Hank Aaron, you know, they're the GOAT. You know, you talk about the uh, history of American presidents and you hear people saying George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln or Ronald Reagan or Joe Biden as the GOAT. You know, never heard that one. Yeah, uh, you know, and so everyone has an opinion as to who is the goat, 
And very rarely, when you're talking about somebody being the greatest of all time, is anybody ever going to agree. It'll always be a debate. But there is one who really has the title of goat in the Bible, and it was given to him by Jesus himself. In Matthew 11, it says, Verily I say unto you, Jesus speaking, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the greatest of all time. Okay? He's the goat. So if Jesus is referring to someone as the greatest, then I think it'd be good to examine him. You know, we know his birth was miraculous, you know, announced by the angel. We knew that, you know, as a baby in the womb, he jumped when Mary, who was carrying Jesus, came by, who was filled with the Spirit. In John chapter 6, we're going to see, really, the end of his life. Uh, but before we get there, if you remember from last week, uh, Jesus had commissioned his 12 apostles to go forth in pairs and to preach in Galilee. He empowered them to cast out demons and, you know, to heal the sick. But the primary thing was to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And they were obedient to their calling and their work was greatly blessed. We saw last week in, chapter, in uh, Mark 6, verse 12 and 13, that they went out and preached that men should repent, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. So it appears like they're having great success on their mission. And if the chapter was to stop right there, I think many would sign up for the ministry. I mean, this is great. You go out, you preach the word, you heal people, and, and it's working. And many would sign up for that. But before you sign up too quickly, I think Mark brings us the account of John the Baptist to let us know that before you sign up, you have to understand that there's a cost. You see, too often people come to Jesus and they're told everything's going to be great, that you'll have health and you'll have wealth, everything's going to go well with you. I'm going to tell you that's a false message because Christians have problems. Just because you're saved doesn't change that. Christians go through problems. And if you're saved with the message, and I remember witnessing some guy, he says, oh, I tried that Jesus once. And, and what I just wrote, this is exactly what he said. They told me everything would go well, I'd have health and I'd have wealth, and everything would be great. And it, I found it was just the opposite, so I stopped following Jesus. You see, that's what happens when you're given the false message. The, the true message is that Jesus said, if the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. That if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you are a born-again believer, God has called you out of this world. And that puts us at odds with the world. Because his light is in us. Just the way it is. Paul writes, yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So while we see the initial success of the apostles going out, we also have to remind ourselves that nearly all of the 12 apostles died a violent death because they were followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, because they preach the message of Jesus, the culture doesn't accept them. And matter of fact, 
the culture pushes against them. And I'm going to tell you something. We need this reminder, I believe. Because as believers, we are too commissioned to go out into this world. We're indwelled by the Spirit of God. We're empowered by the Spirit of God. But we live in a fallen world run by Satan whose desire is to stop the work of the church. So we got to remember as believers, this world is not our home. That we are passing through it and that this world one day is going to pass away. But we have a home in heaven that's eternal. Praise God for that. Amen. It's eternal. And that not even death can separate us from the love of God. Now let me say this. We've been fortunate so far in this country to be able to speak freely. But that window may be closing. And it may turn ugly before the rapture. I know people just want to, you know, want to hear love, luck, and lollipops. But that's not the case all the time. Okay? If we just look at what's happening in our nation and the protests going on. It's crazy. Uh, you know, pro-Palestinian protests and all this kind of stuff and, and, and you know, anti-Semitism coming to the forefront. And I've already heard it. That They're not just looking for Jewish people. They want the Christians as well. So, again, I wish I could tell you something better, but that's just the way it is. I hope I'm wrong. I, myself, personally, want to ride out into the sunset just like, you know, uh, Roy Rogers singing Happy Trails. That's how I want to go. But there's no guarantee. So what do we got to do? I think we got to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. But again, the good news for us, if we are born again, our last breath on this side will usher, in, uh, usher us into eternal life. Not too bad a deal. Not too shabby. Okay? And if you don't have that for yourself, then you can. I'm going to tell you something right now. And I say it at every funeral that you can know where you're going when you die, and you need to know it before you die, because after death, it's too late. But the Bible tells us that you can know where you're going. The Bible says this, this is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, and that he who has the Son has life, and he who has not the Son of God has not life. Again, I've used, said this so many times, this, these verses. There's two groups of people in the world. It has nothing to do with religion. Those who have the Son, they take Jesus by faith, that on the cross he paid their debt of sin, and they place their faith in what he did alone, and ask him into their life, have life, and therefore they will have life eternal. And those who don't, they don't have life. And at their last breath, they will go to an everlasting conscious suffering. That's tough, but that's reality. And you need to know that. You can know where you're going. And I'm going to tell you something you're not ready to live until you're ready to die, and you're not ready to die until you know Jesus. Just the way it is. Back in our text, we're going to see that uh, they had been preaching, and this word of Jesus reached Herod. We're going to read through it, and then we'll do a breakdown of it. So follow me in Mark chapter 6, verse 14. And it says, And King Herod heard of him, being Jesus, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it's Elijah, and others said that it, uh, that is a prophet or one of the prophets. So they're, they're confused about who Jesus is, all right? Uh, they're saying it's Elijah, it's one of the prophets. They never say it's the carpenter from Nazareth, by the way, interesting. But they're saying all these different things, but Herod's like, 
it's John the Baptist, verse 16. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias, uh, his brother's, Philip's wife, for he married her. For John said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing he was a just man and a holy, and a holy, and observed him. And when he had heard him, he he did many things and heard him gladly. So let's break this down. It just says King Herod heard of Jesus that his name was spread abroad. Now it's important to understand who this Herod is, because you'll see a lot of Herods in the Bible. Okay, this is Herod Antipas, and he was the regional monarch and handled Galilee in that area. He's the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the Herod who was the king when Jesus was born. Uh, he was, uh, if you remember that, he, he was there when Jesus was born. He was called the Great because he was a great builder. He gave himself that name. Herod the Great, you know. I could go around my house say, Anthony the Great, and I'll hear, you ain't that great. So, uh, <laughs> but... But Herod had the name Herod the Great, okay? Uh, he was a great builder. Matter of fact, the second temple was known as Herod's Temple because uh, of the building of it. Herod the Great was the one, when Jesus was born, ordered the, innocent, uh, the slaughter of the innocents, it's called. All male babies two years and under to be killed. Uh, when Herod the Great died, he couldn't stop that one, his kingdom was divided with his sons, and one is this one here, Herod Antipas, and he was over Galilee in that area, and he would reign 42 years. And he had the power for capital punishment, which we're going to see, that led to the event of John the Baptist being beheaded. And what he did evidently haunted him, because if you notice, when they're debating who Jesus is, again, you see, he says in verse 16, it is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. So you see the guilt. You see the, the fear in Herod. It's, it's haunted him. I mean, if you know the story of Herod, and we'll look at the rest of it, you know, it basically uh, Herod gets drunk and, you know, they have a party and he gets drunk and his wife's daughter dances before him and Herod drunk says, I'll give you anything you want. And she goes to her mom, Mom, what do you want? She says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Let me tell you something. Somebody brings you a head on a platter, that's going to stick with you, right? I mean, that's going to be like in, ingrained in your memory. So he's haunted by this, okay, by this image. He's guilt-ridden by this. And he says, this is John, whom I beheaded, that's risen from the dead. That's who he thinks Jesus is. So now, we see that John was arrested. Why? Verse 17. For Herod himself had sent forth laid hold on John. Why? Bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his wife's sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he married her. We're going to see the boldness of John the Baptist, who he didn't just preach a voice in the wilderness. He was a voice in the culture, which is very wild, by the way, as it is. But he explains that John was imprisoned 
because John had preached and at least went to Herod and said, it is unlawful, verse 18, for thee to have thy brother's wife. Herod was guilty of incest and adultery because Herodias was Herod's niece. Uh, she was the daughter of his half-brother, okay? And uh, she had married Philip, Herod Philip, his other half-brother. He causes her to divorce him to marry her. If you look up the, the family of the Herods, they're a mess, okay? They are, you know, capital D in dysfunction. But John preaches boldly against the culture, and we find him being imprisoned. Not only is Herod outraged, throws him in prison, but his niece wife is enraged. It says in verse 19, therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him. It means she had it out for him and would have killed him. That's a good indicator when somebody has it out for you. They want to kill you. All right? Usually the way it is. That's the way it goes. You know the old saying, right? Hell has no fury like a scorned woman. All right? For all you single men out there, stay away from crazy women. That's, a, that's, my, that's my tip for you today. Pastor said stay away from crazy women. How do you know they're crazy? Look for the red flags. Yeah, it goes the other way too, by the way, since I have daughters. Watch out for crazy men. Bella, watch out for crazy men. All right? That's the way it is. So Herodias is royally ticked off. I mean, the unmitigated goal of John the Baptist to stick his nose in our lifestyle, right? She's angry. She wants him dead, but she can't get to him. Verse 20 says, why? For Herod feared John, knowing he was a just man and holy, and observed him. John observed him means he preserved or protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Herod knew that John was special that he was just, that he was holy. He wasn't one to be messed with. Not only did Herod fear John, Matthew tells us this, that Herod would have put him to death, but he feared the multitude because the, the multitude loved John. And he didn't want to stir up the multitude because it will just keep, you know, stir up problems. So he protected him. This is all happening when John's in prison, okay? Uh, and so John is still speaking, He's in prison, and again, we see he's, he's bold. He's the greatest, Jesus says. But Matthew gives us something that we don't see in the other Gospels. Go, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew gives us something that you don't see in the other Gospels. It's kind of like Matthew lets us see behind the curtain. Remember the Wizard of Oz? Don't look behind the curtain, right? A lot of times we don't want to look behind the curtain God allows us to look behind the curtain. And we're going to see John in a different light. Look at John the Baptist in a different light. Look at Matthew eleven two. 2. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, the Messiah, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, this is the message he sent, Art thou he that should come, or are you the Messiah, or do we look for someone else? In prison, John began to have his doubts. So he sends two of his followers. Are you the Messiah or do we look for another? Uh, understand that he is not doubting God's promise because God had promised to send the Messiah. He's not doubting the promise of God. He trusted in the promise. He just at this moment is not sure if Jesus is the one. Now think about this for a moment because this should be a warning to all of us. 
This should be a warning to all of us. I mean, John's birth, as I said, was miraculous, you know, being foretold by an angel. His ministry had been prophesied in, in Isaiah chapter 40. And John is called of God to go forth to preach of the coming Messiah in the wilderness. And many people came and they repented and were baptized. Many, we talked about that. He saw the hand and power of God on his ministry. That, and then Jesus comes up to him. And when John baptizes Jesus, it says that he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Jesus. He sees this. And then next it says he hears the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is all that he had seen and heard. But in prison, John is questioning. He's doubting. Are you the Messiah or not? And we can't pass this up here. Because John's doubts prove to us that we're all capable of having doubts. Got to understand that. What made him doubt after all that he had seen and heard? That's the question. I mean, after all the success of the ministry, after all that he's seen and heard, why would he doubt? Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, that's an incredible question after everything he's seen and heard. But now he's in prison. So why would God put this in the scripture? Again, I think it stands for us a, a warning, but also a comfort. The warning is that no matter how strong we may think we may be in the faith, situations and circumstances sometimes have us question, sometimes cause us to doubt. John is languishing in prison, so what's happening to him is not adding up. He's disillusioned. He's disappointed. Maybe he's looking ahead thinking, well, this is not going to end well for me. Or maybe he's thinking that when Messiah would come, he's supposed to rescue Israel from Roman bondage. And it's not happening. So all these things are causing him to doubt. Again, it should be a warning for us that even a John the Baptist could have a day of doubt. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Expectations can lead to disillusion and disappointment and doubt. And again, I say it should be a warning to us. But it also should be a comfort to us to see this in the page of Scripture. It should be a comfort to us that God pulls open the curtain and allows us to look behind the curtain. Because who among us is honest enough to admit that more times than not, we've experienced, you know, expectations that weren't met that brought disillusion and doubt. We've been there. Right? We've been there. None of us are beyond this happening. We're all people of like passions. Think, Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal calls down fire from heaven, sees this amazing event. And then we read him running away from Jezebel. There he goes, those crazy women again. He, he runs away from Jezebel for his life. Right? And he's so down... That he's saying, Lord, take my life from me. So we see it in John the Baptist, this powerful preacher of righteousness, the forerunner of Christ, having doubts. Disillusion, disappointments, and doubts. They happen, especially when times get tough or things go contrary to the way we think they should go. 
You know, maybe you're a person, you had your life mapped out, but somehow things didn't turn out how you planned. You know, something happened in your life and it changed. You heard me say many times, life could turn on a dime. One moment, boom, it's changed. And now you're standing at this intersection of uh, really expectation and disappointment. Maybe your job, that you know, you were the more qualified candidate and uh, somebody else got the job over you. Not only did they get the job, but now you're under them. And, and you've got to go to work every day under this person who's less qualified than you and it gnaws at you. Or maybe you thought your marriage was going to last forever. I mean, you said till death do you part. But your spouse walks out on you and no matter how much you tried to keep it together, they left. And it crumbled. Their, your dreams crumbled. You know. Or maybe you thought you were set up for the golden years. But, you know, the markets have changed. It's, it's getting more expensive to live if you didn't notice. And, you know, you were thinking of retirement, but it's like, I can't retire now. You know, it's just the way it is. So you're working. You're like, wait a minute. I thought I was going to be retired by now. Oh, wait, I'm talking to myself. Now, listen, <laughs> this is the way it is. Listen, the reason I'm not disappointed when other people are retired is because I knew back in 1993, in the year of our Lord, as I'm standing on the 18th hole at the Nags Head Village Beach Club, I finally went on vacation. My sister kept saying, come on vacation. Oh, I'm too busy working, working, working. She goes, take some time off. And I finally break away, and I'm there, and I'm, the sun's setting over the Albemarle Sound, 18th hole. And I'm looking around, and I'm saying, this is absolutely beautiful. I can't believe I haven't done this sooner. And it was at that moment, I said, well, there's two ways to go about it. Work like a maniac till I'm 65 and retire. But there's no guarantee there, right? Work like a maniac, live two years. Yeah, so there's no guarantee there. <laughs> or enjoy the ride and work till you're dead. This is true. This is what's going on in my head. This is a true story. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the ride and work till I'm dead. And God was there. And he said, I heard that story. Then he gave me four Kids, four women. <laughs> my, my baby when I, uh, when I was 47. So while many people my age are retired, I still got somebody in high school. So not only am I working until I'm dead, they're going to make a scarecrow out of me so I could generate income after. <laughs> yeah. Get him out there. Bring him out to the field. Just the way it is. But a lot of people, they, they had planned certain things, and, and you know what? All of a sudden, the money wasn't there. Just the way it is. You know, you, know, you don't expect all of a sudden that, you know, have aging parents, and, and you know what? They need your help. And you're not expecting this. You thought it was time, it was my time to go. But now you're caring for them. They cared for you. You know? Or, you know, you've been praying and, and no answer comes. And, and you can't help but wonder whether God hears you sometimes. I mean, this, this is the truth, all right? You know, does God care about our struggles? 
we, we find ourselves questioning God, you know. Well, this is just the way it is. Why is there so much confusion in my life if God is in control? So we question things. When, we're, when we're, our expectations are dashed and we're disappointed, we have questions in our mind. If, if, you know, why is there so much hurt in the world if God is good? You know, he can make everything right if he wanted to. He has the power. Why doesn't he do something? We, we've all gone through that. We don't say it as Christians because, you know, it's not the Christian thing to do. But that's reality. We've all gone through that. Where we're sitting there, like John, in the dungeon of doubt. What's going on? I believe that this little section of John doubting was put there for us. Because followers of Christ have experienced disappointment. And if we don't really handle it the way John did, it'll lead to despair. So this message, I believe that God put this here to offer hope when things seem hopeless. It's, a, it's intended to encourage the people of God who are standing, who are, whose expectations have been dashed and they're discouraged and disillusioned, and now they're doubting. John says, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Did you know it's okay to ask questions? That God's okay? The real question is, what do we do when doubts and discouragement and disillusionment arises? What do we do? Well, we can learn from John because he did the right thing. He sent his two disciples to Jesus with a question, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? You see, John couldn't, had to get, he, had, he couldn't get there. He was in prison. He sent his disciples. Praise the Lord, we have access to the throne of grace that we could go directly. Are you the one, or do I keep looking? Because things aren't adding up. The Bible says we all see through the glass darkly. None of us have the full picture. So we all, at times, have questions when things aren't going the way we think they should. You know, usually what we do is we go to counsel, we see somebody for counsel, we look for a quick fix. You know, let me say this. John went to Jesus. He went to Jesus, and that's exactly what we're supposed to do. James says, when he talks about us having trials in our lives and all these different things, it says that we're to go and ask for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Why am I going through this? What's going on, Lord? He says, ask, and he will give it to us liberally and upbraideth not. You see, when we're standing there and our expectations have been you know, destroyed and we're disillusioned and we're doubtful, we've got to do what John did. Take it to Jesus. It may not be the quick fix you're looking for, by the way, because Jesus isn't on our time schedule, but it will be the complete fix. John sends his disciples, and notice Jesus, he doesn't blast them. This is a great thing. Jesus doesn't blast them, you know, for having a question, for having doubts. He doesn't say, what is this, John, an idiot? He doesn't say that. Notice how he answers. Matthew eleven four. Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. 
the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus doesn't claim himself to be the Messiah here. He's not testifying of himself. He's going to let the scripture testify of him. He says, look at the works that have been prophesied of me. Look what I'm doing. Put the two together, and you'll see that I am the exact one. You see, but the key word, notice the key word here is in verse 4. Go and show John again those things which you do see and hear. We can't pass that. You know when it says that we live by every word of God? We can't pass this little word. Go and show John again those things. When we find, you know, the situations and circumstances of life that are overwhelming us, that cause us to doubt and fear... We have to understand it's not always some new truth that's going to get us through. Sometimes we just need to go over again what the Lord has already shown us. You hear me talk about having a history with God. That how he was in the past and how he showed up in the past and did in the past, he never changes. Sometimes we just need to go over it again. You know, I love when Peter says that he's not preaching anything new to you. He's just stirring up what you already know. Every, every Sunday, I'm not telling you a lot of stuff that's new. I'm telling you what you already know and just stirring it up because we could get settled in. We get in that rut and we get thinking in, in our human mind instead of our spiritual mind and it needs to be stirred up. Sometimes we've got to go back. You know... Jesus, we got to understand, he, a lot of times when, when life is going wrong and we're, we're not happy, right, you're supposed to be making me happy and I'm not happy. That's what my one daughter said. I always share that message with you. I thought that was good. That's, that, was that a classic line or what? You're not making me happy and I'm supposed to be happy. <laughs> and you know what? We do that to God. But we've got to understand something. Jesus came to make us holy, not happy. But we find happiness when we find holiness. Jesus tells the men to go and show John again the things that I'm doing. Because sometimes in our minds, we have the picture of what Jesus should be doing. A lot of times in our prayer, we give God suggestions of how he should be doing it. But he's God and we're not. And, and we can't put him in a box because every time we do, he gets out. Every time we think we understand God and things are flowing the way they should and something happens, we're like, wait a minute. I'm doing what I should be doing. I'm praying. I'm reading. I'm going to church. I'm serving. Why is this happening? And that's where John is. Why is this happening? John had preconceived notions as the Messiah that Israel should be set free. Not only is Israel not being set free, but I'm in prison. So he's doubting. You've got to remember, John came and he's looking for a judgment of fire. He says, the axe was laid at the root, the chaff was to burn. He's preaching of the coming wrath, but instead he's here, he's saying Jesus healing and, and feeding and preaching the gospel. It's not adding up. Listen, you've heard me say many times, we are the most privileged people on earth because we get to see after the cross. We got to see God's complete plan. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. John didn't have that. All right? He only had part of the story. Remember, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. So John's disciples, they hear that from Jesus. They depart to go back to John. 
And let's see what Jesus has to say about John in Matthew eleven seven. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what, ye, what went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what ye went out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. He doesn't condemn John for the question. He actually commends him. He says, you didn't go out to see a reed shaken in the wind. He preached with power and conviction. He said, what did you go out to see, verse 9? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, he's quoting in Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. And then he says this about John. Verily, I say unto you, I read this before, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist the greatest of all time. And then he says, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Again, we, we see the whole picture that John didn't see. When we look at the Old Testament person, I mean, who was the greatest? Some would say Moses, some would say Elijah, some would say Abraham. Jesus says it's John, he's the goat. But again, he commends him and he says, greater us. Because when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he started something new, the church age. What a privilege that we have. Jesus doesn't rebuke John for his question. He reassures him. You see, this is the thing. He desires to meet us where we are and reassure us to build us up in the faith because he knows us. I love Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, for he knows our frame. And he remembers we're dust. The next time we find ourselves where our expectations are not being met, where we're disappointed and disillusioned when things aren't adding up, we've got to look to Jesus. We've got to take him at his word. And we've got to remind ourselves of the price that was paid for us. Wait a minute. What about the rest of the story? Well, again, we know the story that John would be beheaded. Think about how unjust that is. The truth teller is beheaded, but the ones who are living and drunk and in debauchery, they live on. And it makes you wonder. But that's our world, folks. That's our world. You know, just like when your kids say, that's not fair, what do you tell them? The world's not fair. And it's not fair. Okay, Herod would live on. Jesus, after Pilate sees him, he sends him to Herod, and Herod mocks him. And he'll get his end. God is just. We've got to understand that. When we think the guilty are getting away with things, they're not getting away with anything. John came to his end. Why? Because the end of John's purpose was fulfilled. Let me tell you something. As a believer, you're not going to go one minute before you're, you know, not your time. That God has a plan and a purpose, and that will be met. Because we're kept by the power of God. And we have to understand that until that time, and even beyond, when the number is called, the Bible tells us nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Listen, when the executor came to John, 
to behead him, the Lord was there. And in that moment, he was absent from this body and he would be present with the Lord. Because God is faithful. John reached the end of his race and he heard those words that we should all long to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we could take comfort in the account of John because even though he's the greatest of all time, he also was just like us. He was just like us. So when we find ourselves, you know, with our expectations dashed and we're in disappointment and disillusioned, we have a choice. We, you know, the saying, you either grow bitter or you grow better. Our response could be disappointment and anger towards the Lord. And when that happens, you know what it reveals? It reveals that we were hoping in our own strength. That we were, uh, you know, we wanted our will to be done. But that's where we have to take on the mindset of Jesus. Not my will, but thy will be done. And it's at this intersection we have to lift up our eyes to the Lord. And when we do, you know what we're saying? Yes, I see what's visible in front of me, but I'm going to trust the invisible. That's what faith is. I'm going to trust the invisible. Focus on Christ. Recall what he promised you. Seize the promise. Lay hold of eternal life. You see, and don't stop serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Keep serving him. Keep walking in obedience. Keep striving to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Listen, as we go into communion today, and don't start opening your cups yet because it's not yet. I did that first service. Everybody starts moving and opening cups. It's not yet. Everybody stay calm. As we go to communion, though, we need to be reminded that God would send his son to die for us. That he, in his foreknowledge, saw every sin we would ever commit, ever commit it or would commit. That's amazing. And then he still said, I'll take that. I'll take that. Give it to me. It's that love that set us free. And if you're saved here today, it's that love that continues to set you free. And one day when it's our last day, we'll be in his presence.